So thank you for joining us for our next edition of the Catholicism 101 series that we have this year. We have a very special guest who flew all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, from the Diocese of Atlanta, uh, Father Mike Metz, who's also a friend of Father Connors, and one of the three dogs from the podcast Three Dogs North. So join me in welcoming Father Mike Metz. Okay, so we're going to go on and start with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together, and suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of life, your Holy Spirit. Ask in a very special way that you send your Holy Spirit down upon us, uh, down upon everybody that's here, down upon this entire university and city, um, that you can consume us with the fire of your love that you open up our hearts to hear your voice, to be led and guided by the breath of love that is the Holy Spirit that dwells in in us, in each one of us. And ask in a special way that you send your Holy Spirit down upon me, that I can communicate uh, the love that you have for each one of these, your sons and your daughters, in a way that they can hear and understand. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Um, So as Becca said, I am from the Archdiocese of Atlanta and the Archdiocese for the Military Services. And I know Father Connor um, through, we studied together up at Mundelein for a number of years. uh, And then I came back for my STL as a priest and just got to know UIC a little bit, but um, have been hanging out and chatting with Father Connor for a long time. Um, So in this talk, I hear that some of y'all listen to this podcast that we do, Um, so I tried not to repeat any stories, but I think there is one in particular, a story about my little brother Chris, so just be patient with any repetitions there. Um, I have grown to know the Holy Spirit uh, more and more as a young man and as a priest, and I have found that a lot of the information that I receive about the Holy Spirit, a lot of the catechesis around the Holy Spirit, a lot of the way that we talk about the Holy Spirit can sometimes be kind of amorphous and like you don't really know. Someone will say like, oh, the Holy Spirit, I just know him and you can just kind of feel him when he's there. And you're like, that doesn't, that's not helpful at all. I don't know what you're talking about. I get it in some way, but it's, it's just not helpful downright. And so I was reading a book by this guy, his name is Lawrence Feingold and he's a professor up at Notre Dame. And this talk was the fruit of just reading his book, um, and it was just some really practical stuff. Um, and it was a beautiful combination of what I saw to be uh, good teaching, like obviously he's a, he's a great theologian, um, but also very practical application, specifically of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I work in parish ministry down in Atlanta, and we do confirmation and things like that, and we have people write out the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all these kids who are preparing for confirmation and like, what are they? You know, if you could really not actually like, can you name them, but have the gifts of the Holy Spirit ever impacted your everyday life? Have they, 
Have they ever made some sort of a change? Have you ever noticed them before? And yet we say we received them at baptism and then we're, they're strengthened in confirmation. It's like, I don't know. Where are these gifts? Like, how is this happening? How is this working? And so as I, as I was reading this book, I, I began to see that there was both solid theology, but then also some real practical, um, helpful advice that this, that this theologian was giving that resonated with my own experiences in my life as I look back and reflect on my life. It was like, that was the Holy Spirit. I had no idea. Um, and so essentially, well, we're, we're getting a little ahead. So essentially, this is the fruit of um, this book, Lawrence Feingold's book. It's titled The Mystery of Israel and the Church. Um, and so what I want to do is do a little bit of teaching and I'm going to actually kind of stick a little bit to my notes because I can ramble and just get out of control. So I'm going to stick to this and that's why we have the PowerPoint, honestly, is to keep me under, under control. Uh, this is my cage and I, I need, (laughs) I need a confined space or else I'll just get, yeah, all over the place. Um, but it's also the fruit of my own prayer and it's not... Um, the most logical explanation of things at, at, at all these points, but um, it, it is something that I wanted to share. And, and so hopefully y'all can take some practical tools away that applies to your spiritual life and your everyday life of what the gift of, gifts of the Holy Spirit really are. Okay, so I'm going to put this in the big context of salvation history, which is, uh, I think, how we should start all of these talks. Um, we have the Blessed Trinity, okay? God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, you can see the, the Trinity and the triangle there, but they're in a communion of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The lover, God the Father, the loved, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is the love that unifies them. And God existed before all time and all space perfectly in and of himself. Okay, perfectly. He doesn't need anything. And then God does this wild thing. Boom. It took a while to figure out this animation here, right? (laughs) Folks who are listening, you are missing out. So then he creates for absolutely no reason besides that he loves us. And love is diffusive, and he wants to share his life with creation, with creatures. And so he creates all time and all space. Unbelievable. And within that is ourselves. Um, That's the planet Earth, for those who can't see. And man and woman are created in a beautiful union with God, and we walk hand in hand, and we talk to God (coughs) face to face in this beautiful harmony of love where we perfectly receive what the Father is giving to us, and we return our love to the Father beautifully in this wonderful order and harmony. It's absolutely beautiful. And then what happens? The fall. The fall happens. You actually are missing out on this one because it's good. I wasted a lot of time. You just GIF, GIF fall, and it's like, block out two hours of your day because it just took forever, okay? I absolutely loved it. But actually, I picked these for two specific reasons is because, um, I mean, obviously they're hilarious, but uh, this first one here I think is actually a, a beautiful example of what the fall looks like. You know, one of my favorite gospel passages is the vine and the branches, John 15. And what happened in creation is they took, we took our eyes off of the tree, off of the big vine, because this branch was so splendid. And we got stuck on the wrong thing. And we said, I'm going to hold on to this like it's God. This guy is putting way too much weight onto something that can't sustain him. 
And so what happens, he grabs on and he latches and he says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I think you know a little bit, but I think I know best. So I'm going to go on and hold on. And we put our weight on and we fell down. And that is uh, honestly a beautiful, hilarious image of the fall. (laughs) And then this is what happens afterwards. Is, Is God's like, come on, I love you. And he's drawing us to himself. But we have these tendencies to sin. We have these deep desires for the lower things of, of life. And so as much as God draws us forward, we keep falling. So he's, he's just pulling us to himself. And we're like, no, take me back down. And we're just falling down the escalator. So we fall and then we continue to fall. And we have these, these loves for, for things that are not good for us. So that's concupiscence. We have these loves for evil. Okay, so then what does God do? Okay, he sends his only begotten son. So that's time and space. It's an epic line. You're missing out. And he sends his only begotten son uh, down to save us and to be with us. So he becomes incarnate, which we're about to celebrate. And as Father Hennessy would say, he walks our walk. He talks our talk. Uh, He's truly 100% God, 100% man. And then he dies our death. And he, you know, he's totally, completely dead And it's tough to understand what this descent would look like all the way down there. Um, No hope for the resurrection exists yet. Nobody knows what what happens. Christ is completely consumed by death and by the earth. He's swallowed up by the womb of the earth that death thinks it's victorious. And then, of course, Christ, from the inside out, destroys death and raises to new life. He rises from the dead. But Christ, he doesn't just come back to where we were, that the resurrection doesn't just bring us back to this life, but that the Lord desires to bring us fully back into his own, his, his very life, his own life. So then he ascends with the fullness of humanity and redeems us, not just back to the Garden of Eden, as great as that was, but we went down, Christ went down with us so that we could be in his very life. And it's one of my favorite lines from the catechism. The ultimate end of the whole divine economy is the entry of God's creatures into the perfect unity of the blessed Trinity. This is what God wants for us more than anything, is to dwell in his very life, which is the perfect communion of love. That's why when we're baptized, we're baptized into the mystical body of Christ so that we too, we also ascend with Christ as he goes up to the Father. So this is, this is the whole story of salvation history that we're looking at. Okay? And as Christ is in heaven where he reigns now, he sends us the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Look at those, man, sick, boom. <laughs> boom! And that's the church. <laughs> Which is kind of an accurate depiction. Uh, that's the church right now. So, the, so Christ continues to save all all of time and all of space. That just because Christ is in heaven doesn't mean he left us, but he sends us his life so that heaven and earth are now connected the way that God intended. And he's drawing us closer and closer to himself so that we are able to receive his spirit. Notice Christ had to ascend. He said, I have to ascend in order to send my spirit to you. It's like he brought heaven and earth back into alignment like a chiropractor. Now you can receive the life that you're meant to. So he pours out his Holy Spirit upon us and he creates the church, which is the mystical body. It is his body, which a good definition for the church is the prolongation of the incarnation of Jesus Christ throughout space and time. That's what we are, is the continuation of Christ on earth, trying to redeem all people, all of creation, so that everybody 
can dwell with the Father in heaven. That's a huge mission. It's a beautiful thing. We can't do it on our own. That's why Christ sends us the paraclete, the advocate. Okay? So this is where the Holy Spirit comes into play. And the Holy Spirit's obviously always been there. That's, yeah. Okay, so now specifically to the Holy Spirit. So what does this look like? Obviously, we can't do this on our own. So God gives us his very life, his breath. And here's some, some quotes specifically from Genesis all the way up through to John. So we can see the presence of the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. So this first one, John 1, 2, is the spirit or breath of God that in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and shape with darkness over the abyss and a mighty wind sweeping over the waters, that there's this formless matter and God breathes his life and creates. He forms things with his own spirit, with his own breath. And then he does the same thing with man and woman. He creates us and he breathes life into us. Okay, so the Holy Spirit as the breath, this wind of God, that, that's how he's been depicted throughout a, much of scripture. So John 3, 8 is a big passage for Lawrence Feingold, this, this idea, this image that he presents. The wind blows where it wills, and you can hear the sound that it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And this is really the foundational passage that he builds off of. This is, that's Pentecost right there. But the image that I'd like to present to you guys today, and it's actually right here on this next slide, is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we receive in confirmation, that we receive in baptism and are strengthened in confirmation, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this wind, this breath of life that pushes us and moves us and animates us and leads us and guides us. Lawrence Feingold's image is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are like these big sails so that we receive them, we have them. We're, We're fully capable of unfolding them and using them or wrapping them up and not accepting the spirit to lead us. So I can do what I want. I can row here and there. I can use the rudder and move me where I want to go. But the aim and the goal of the spiritual life with this image here is to have all of our gifts totally open and to have no tension with this breath of life that God is breathing upon us which sounds really great. Like, oh, just leave me wherever you want. Okay, that sounds really cool. But we end up having to hold on like mad and not steering where we want to steer and letting the Holy Spirit steer us and lead us and guide us. That's what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. Giant sails that we can either have fully open, fully capable of receiving God's breath and his guidance and his life, or we can ravel those things up. We can ravel those things up and God's breath can blow right by us and it feels like a windy, chilly day. And there it goes, boom. And we're totally missing the movements and the animations that God is presenting into our life. So let me just get back on course. Okay, so Lawrence Feingold says this. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are like the sails of a sailboat that enable it to be led by the wind. The gifts thus make us docile to the inspirations of grace. So you could have all the talents in the world, but if you're not actually engaging those talents, they're basically raveled up sails, right? So the Holy Spirit has given us the ability, the gifts to receive his life. So then the question is, are they open? Are they being engaged? Are they capable of catching this life that God is currently 100% always blowing into you? Always. The Holy Spirit is just breathing his life into us. 
am I even, am I even aware of this? Or does most of the time it feels like this chilly wind that just gushes right by me as I yell, God, where are you? I don't know what to do. And he's like, dude, open up your sails. Open up your gifts. Here I am. Can you feel me? Can you hear me? Can you see me? This is the wind. This is how we know. So that's the image that I'd like to use, okay, is that what we want to strive for in our spiritual lives is no tension, no tension, which is complete openness to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, our only task is to just hold on to those sails. I, I've only been sailing once, uh, and so I don't actually know how to sail. I don't know if this is the right posture, or if you even, I don't even know what this is, but I don't know. So we're, but that's going to be me opening up these sails and holding on to them, okay? And just having this freedom that they move as the wind blows, um, but I'm not the one steering them. And so I have to be led wherever the Holy Spirit moves me, which, again, sounds great. But anybody who's been led by the Holy Spirit will say sometimes it looks like he's heading for a cliff and there's like rocks all over the place. And we're like, Holy Spirit, where are you going? So it sounds nice. Like, just take me wherever. Whoa. And he's like, don't take me over there. And then we very quickly turn. We very quickly turn and do our own thing. OK, or we unravel. We unravel and we say, slow down, man. That's a little bit too much for me. Let's ravel that up, all right? So that's the image. This is, yeah. So we'll just kind of dive into the actual gifts of the Holy Spirit right now. Man, that was all set up for the actual gifts of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the last time I gave this talk, it took almost the entire talk to get to this point. So we're doing better, okay? I'm telling you, I need a cage. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to take a break right quick from this PowerPoint, okay? So the first gift of the Holy Spirit is fear of the Lord. And Lawrence Feingold says that fear of the Lord, it's, well, Scripture says this, it's the beginning of wisdom, but that it is the foundational gift of the Holy Spirit. That if you don't have fear of the Lord in its right place, fully open, then all of the rest will limp in some way. They'll be paralyzed in some way. And so fear of the Lord is something that honestly... I don't even think I ever fully nailed it down. It's kind of tough and difficult to talk about um, because we understand God is a God of love as Christians, that God's my father. So how can I, why do I, why would I fear him? So like, what, what does that even mean? Um, especially because many of us have had experiences of fear where it's like, I don't want to have that towards God. And so what's the proper understanding of what scripture means when it persistently says, I am the one who fears the Lord. Those who fear the Lord will trust in the Lord. Those who fear in the Lord will receive wisdom. Those who fear in the Lord will receive the spirit of life. Okay? So, foundational, this is what Lawrence Feingold says. He says that fear of the Lord, it does not mean terror of God. It does not mean terror of God, but rather awe and reverence before the divine majesty. Awe and reverence before the divine majesty. So, I'm going to show two clips in this, in this PowerPoint, in this slide right here, Okay? One is going to be how we usually, at least how I consider fear of the Lord. This may not make any sense to you guys, but uh, I think this is how most of us uh, conceptualize, oh, this is what it means to fear of the Lord. And then the last clip is going to be what I think real fear of the Lord actually looks like, okay? And I'm going to tell a little story in between. I love this scene. Oh, no. King 
of the Britons. Oh, don't grovel. One thing I can't stand is people groveling. Sorry. And don't apologize. Every time I try to talk to someone, it's sorry this and forgive me that and I'm not worthy. What are you doing now? I'm averting my eyes, oh Lord. Well, don't. It's like those miserable psalms. They're so depressing. Now knock it off. Yes, Lord. Right. Arthur, King of the Britons, your knights of the round table shall have a task to make them an example in these dark times. Good idea, oh Lord. Of course it's a good idea. <laughs> That last part was not necessary to the talk, but I love... <laughs> of course it's a good idea. So I think that's really, uh, in a lot of ways, how I, how I had always envisioned what fear of the Lord looks like. You're coming upon the splendor and you're just like, oh no, like, just I need to grovel and apologize before I can even talk to you and all this. But that's not really, that's, that's not what real fear of the Lord uh, actually means. That fear of the Lord... Um, and this is going to be a little bit abstract, so I'll, I'll tell a story and put some meat on it. But fear of the Lord is an acknowledgement that God, ultimately, that God is God and I am not. That God is creator, and that means that everything that is flows from God. And I cannot create reality the way that I want, which means I have to conform to this other this other being, this other thing, this other entity <coughs> that is creating my entire existence. So Lawrence Feingold, he uses Adam and Eve as an example for lack of fear of the Lord. God provides everything to them. He provides all of creation, man and woman, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. Everything that you need is here. And Adam says, no, I think I actually know better than you. So I am going to act like the authority of what is right and what is wrong. Of what is right and what is wrong. I need to be God's creature because he has complete dominion over all things. Not me, not humanity, but only God. So another way of saying this could be healthy fear of the Lord is a horror of opposing God's will. Like total terror, yeah, in opposing, not God, but of opposing God's will. Because then I'm actually siding with something I know to not be good, okay? So here's a story that can maybe help flesh a little bit of this out. I have a little brother, his name is Chris. I I think I did tell this story on the podcast, but he's 11 years old now, and we have brainwashed him like really, really bad from a very young age to be obsessed with Lord of the Rings, Okay, like, oh, so obsessed. He had a whole Gimli costume, and he would just run around. Oh, it was so sweet. It was a beautiful costume. He had an axe, and it was just, like, awesome. Um, But he was brainwashed, for sure. Yeah, we definitely did that. Um, And so he would watch all the movies. He would watch them, like, every day when the Hobbit movies came out. He went to the movie theaters dressed up as Gimli with the axe. And we were like, okay, a bit much. Um, And so Chris, he, he had this story that was, like, deeply ingrained into his head and into his heart. And Lord of the Rings is just this beautiful story where goodness and evil are in this great conflict. And, and Chris knew that. You know, to a little kid like that, it's, it's very, very black and white. And so I think actually using a little kid to look at, look at the nature of good and evil is, is very, very helpful. So Chris, 
well, we didn't know at the time, somebody stole a Barks root beer, which was a hot ticket item in the Mets family household. I'm from a family of 11. And so those things went like hotcakes, you know? So people would frequently steal food and hide it so that they could eat it later. So somebody, we don't know who, steals a Barks root beer and puts it in the freezer. And somebody discovers a little bit later, later that this soda is in the freezer, which if it freezes in there, it could explode, and then it would just kind of get all over all these different things. Or, and so we're like, okay, well, who did it? Somebody needs to fess up, and we can figure out who actually stole this Parks Root Beer. And we're all like, kind of looking at Chris like, who did it? Anybody willing to fess up? And we're kind of looking, and Chris is like, no, no, it wasn't me. Everybody denies it. And we, we all already know that it's Chris. But we want to give him the opportunity to speak truthfully and to fess up for what he did. So he takes out uh, the root beer, and we kind of have it sitting there. And we keep asking, like, anybody, anybody? So this opportunity to fess up, a little bit of mercy. And Chris is just not budging. So I call him over, and I'm like, hey, Chris, you know, if you did it, man, it's really okay. Like, you can, you can just take blame for it and it'll be all right we'll totally forgive you like the bigger thing is we want we want to tell the truth um the truth is the thing that sets us free and like we we, that's the most important thing nobody cares if you stole this root beer we want you to tell the truth if you did it and i said chris you know when we lie it's like you are siding with the orcs from Lord of the Rings. And it's, you're like taking the side of evil here, and you're fighting against Frodo and Gandalf and Gimli and Legolas. And Chris was just like, I did it! It was me! Like, immediately. Because what Chris saw there was the, the true distinction between what's good and what's evil. That anything that allied with these orcs, these foul, vile creatures, he had this deep sensitivity that said, no, I don't want to have any part of that. He was totally afraid of opposing this deep, deep goodness and beauty that he had associated with and that he wanted to be a part of. So he said, no, 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 immediately. He had this fear of joining forces with evil. So listen to what JP2 says in this beautiful way. Um, He defines... Yeah, this is how he defines fear of the Lord. The sense of sin, he defines it as a fine sensitivity and an acute perception of the seeds of death contained in sin, as well as a sensitivity for identifying them in the thousand guises under which sin shows itself. So there's a lot of ways that we can compromise um, and can make agreements with things that we know to be wrong. And it, it dulls our sensitivity, little by little. And then I think things that are actually bad are good, and things that are good are bad, and we begin to get everything completed. So we need to have fear of the Lord as the most foundational thing to understand that God creates good. And I want to respect and reverence and be in total awe, in absolute terror of opposing this God who has created everything that's good. That's something like fear of the Lord. Okay, so this is the, oh man. Okay, so an unopened, si- an unopened sale for fear of the Lord is pride. Belief that I'm the provider and I'm the creator. Like, yeah, I know you're asking me to do this, but I think I could actually do it a little bit better. That's not it. So the open sale is having humility. 
and trusting that I can believe in what God has to say for me, that this is the way that this sale opens up. I trust that you are good and that you are creating. I want to be on your side. So this is what real, what I think real fear of the Lord looks like. This is an interview with Bishop Barron, and he talks with a, a guy named Jordan Peterson. He's kind of a, a popular, y'all have probably all heard of Jordan Peterson, but a popular, popular YouTube intellectual. Um, and they're discussing essentially existence of God. And, and Jordan Peterson, this is just, he's, he's not a self-proclaimed Christian or anything. He's just a, a deep thinking man that I, I really think he takes um, these questions incredibly seriously. So just listen to his response. Than we are at explicating it. And so I, I've taken it to be a sign of hope. I was a mystery. Well, I feel too that my outside the church yeah. is actually critical to the success of what I'm doing. You know, people yeah. have tried to pin me down multiple times with regards to my belief in God. I actually did a two hour lecture in. This was a 70-minute lecture in Australia about that question because I thought about it a lot and about... I've always felt imposed upon, I would say, and boxed in when people ask me that question. But I finally figured out that I didn't really feel that I had the moral right to make a claim about belief in God. I mean, that's not a trivial thing to, to let's say, proclaim. Yeah. You know, because it's not merely a matter of stating in some verbal manner that I am willing to agree semantically with a set of doctrines. It means that you have to live you have to commit to living a certain way. Yeah. And the demand of that life is so stringent and so all-consuming and, and you're so unlikely to live up to it that to make the claim that you believe, I think is a... To me, it smacks of a kind of... I mean, I understand why people do it, and this isn't a criticism of people's statement of faith, but for me, the critical element of belief is action, and the requirements of Christianity are so incredibly demanding that I don't see how you can proclaim yourself a believer without being terrified of immediately being struck down by lightning or so. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually think that is something really close to proper fear of the Lord. Um, here's a guy who is, he, he does not proclaim any specific belief to one specific religion or another and won't even declare if God exists or not, if he believes in that. And yet he's moved to tears at the consideration of what that would mean in his life because it's not just something that we say, but it would literally dictate everything that he does and believes, and, and he truly gets that. This is where Jordan Peterson is lacking, though, is we have seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. That's not just one, right? 
And so this next one is totally important and has to be followed up by fear of the Lord, I'd say, or else you will be utterly terrified by the existence of this God who will strike you down if you are wrong. Okay, but thanks be to God, we're not just his creatures. We're not his slaves, but we become his sons and his daughters. That's what the gift of piety is, which has to be an immediate follow-up to fear of the Lord. And so Lawrence Feingold says that piety, the gift of piety, is an offshoot of fear of the Lord. And what it does is it gives us a filial sense of oneself as a child of God. It thus tempers the awe and reverence that we have coming before this divine majesty with a sweetness and a love proper to a son. So I can approach this incredible God um, because he has adopted me as his son. And I think what happens and why fear of the Lord gets trashed so quickly is we jump. That's such an incredible thing that we jump to that without first understanding the immensity of what true fear of the Lord means. But the thing is, if we have fear of the Lord correctly founded, it only makes this piety, this filial piety that you are a son and daughter of this God, even more incredible. So we want to hold all of these things. We want to have all of these things open. You can't have one or the other, okay? Because the fact that we are his sons and his daughters, we say that like all the time. That is the most incredible thing because we're drawing close to this God who could zap us in, in, a, in a matter of an instant. You know, he could do whatever he wanted. And yet, he chose to adopt us. He chose to choose you. That's an incredible thing. And so it comes right off of, yes, fear of the Lord. So Paul says in Romans, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, like an escalator, Paul doesn't say that. I said that. (laughs) But you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So this is the thing. It can't just be an intellectual or devotional practice, but that it actually has to be a part of the atmosphere of our hearts. The atmosphere of our hearts. So an unopened sail for the gift of piety looks like acting like an orphan, forgetting that we are sons and daughters of the Father. And so this divine filiation that comes mediated through Jesus Christ, that uh, we are grafted onto the body of Christ and then raised up to the Father, we don't live in that reality. We're, We're absolutely clueless to that many times, that I feel like I'm an orphan on the street walking around trying to do everything all on my own. So imagine if you had no piety and only a sense of fear of the Lord. So we're running around in terror that there's this God that I, I can feel his I can feel his guidance and his mandates and what is good and what is wrong, but I have I'm imperfect. I have no capability of doing it on my own. I know that I'm gonna fall. And I, I'm I feel like I'm doing this all on my own. So we want to open up that sail, or else existence will be too much. Because that fear of the Lord is, is in us. We know this. And so we also have to have this mercy and this sweetness and this love that allows us to draw close to this God who is a God of mercy and forgiveness. Okay? So how do we open up our sails? And it's simply crying out to the Father. So I'd say this, look, in prayer specifically, when you feel alone, which we need to be able to name that feeling. I feel alone right now. I don't know what to do. 
I don't feel like anybody can help me. You're not an orphan. You're not alone. And so simply opening up that sail is to cry out to the father as an adopted son and daughter of God. That's, it's, it's really quite that simple. And it allows us to open up to this breath of life that God is breathing in us, that I no longer feel alone. And that wind no longer feels like a gust of wind, you know, cutting through Chicago here. But it actually does give me life and moves me forward the way that the Father wants me to move, the way that the Spirit is leading and guiding me. So here's a story for that. When I was in college, um, I was a senior. I was doing ROTC. I was actually the battalion commander of our battalion. And we had maybe 100, 100 cadets or so. And I had no idea what I was doing. And then I got way in over my head, and a situation was revealed to me as I was the leading cadet for, for our entire battalion. And I had found out that there was some immoral activity, we'll say immoral activity going on. Um, and it was with a friend. There was a, there was a friend involved, and I, you know, I, won't, I won't really give much more than that. And I was terrified and had no clue what I was supposed to do. I was just this buffoon senior in college, and I was just like, oh, I don't even know. This is too adult for me. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I called all my other friends, and I'm just like roaming around doing circles, totally in the dark, totally in the dark, acting like an orphan. And so at one point I said, like, I have to call my dad. My dad was in the Navy, he was in the military. He's a very wise, very smart guy. I had to call him. And I picked up the phone and just told my dad the situation. And within something like three minutes, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I had a, a JAG officer on the line that we were family friends with who I knew but didn't think of, couldn't think of because I was doing circles alone in the dark. And my dad said, oh, hey, do this, talk to this person, and tomorrow we can have this whole situation figured out, lickety split, no problem. And I was just like, oh, this, you're, this is exactly what I needed to do. So instead of living like an orphan, I just yanked this sail. I pulled it open and my father spoke to me as a son and gave me very specific guidance where I was able to catch this wind of life that moved me in the proper direction. It was instantaneous. And those experiences really do happen in prayer. Maybe not that profound and that quick and that magical and things like that, but the father truly is with us and we need to live in that reality. So live in reality of your sonship and daughtership. Oh, wow. How did we get here? Fortitude. Okay. So then the next one is knowledge, uh, the gift of knowledge. So knowledge simply stated is knowledge is principally a right judgment of the vanity of temporal things, understanding that they are not a final end in and of themselves. So this is knowledge. This is the way that we come to properly understand creation and to look at it um, as a branch and not as a tree, like the gif from the guy who was falling. But that sometimes, so with this sailboat analogy, think about this. The sail is up. An unopened sail is obsessed with caviar, shrimp, cocktails, and treasure on the ship. Okay, so you got all these awesome things, and we're cruising along, and we got these sails open, and it's great. And then I look over the edge, and I'm like, dude, some gold. Let's hang tight right here because this is beautiful. So I close that sail so that I can stop and be arrested to be like physically stopped by the beauty of these created things. Knowledge, true knowledge, the gift of knowledge is not allowing the goodness of creation to arrest our development in 
our growth and love for Jesus Christ. So as good as things are, they're not the end in and of themselves. And knowledge helps us to see that. It's not to say all creation is bad, so just dump it out. We don't want to take any interest in that. No, no, that's not what we're saying. But that creation mediates the love of God and is a way that he draws us back to himself. And anything, using the material world in any other way besides that, like it is an end in and of itself, is a misuse of it. Then we step on that step and we stop there. We hang on that branch that can't bear the weight because it's not the end. We need to hug onto that tree. We need to be a part of this vine that can truly support us. So knowledge is saying vanity of vanities. All things are vanities. But that doesn't mean they're bad. They're good, but they're not an end in and of themselves. So what does an open sale look like? This is more of... um, I guess a romantic open sail. This just is more of an imaginary thing that came in prayer is that when I get stuck on goodness, the goodness of things, and I can't let go of them, I'm so attached to them. I'm holding on to this treasure. I won't let the boat go forward because I'm diving over the edge to go and get more gold, to get more stuff. And I can't move forward and I'm stuck. And then the Lord's yanking this stuff out of my hands. And then I hate him because now I have rope burn on my hands and like, I can't let go of those things. I need the gift of knowledge, which is an opening of the sail, where I need to look up to the stars. I need to look, physically look up to heaven to reorient myself of what I'm about and where I'm going. So we can get stuck like this. You know, I find myself when I get into a YouTube vortex, which is sometimes, (laughs) I physically can feel myself like this. Like, next time that you do this, be aware of what your body looks like, of, of how, you're actually orienting, how you're actually orienting yourself to creation. I'm just, like, slumped over, and it's, like, totally feeling miserable and crinkled over, like, just Gollum-esque. And I was like, Rah. Okay, and then what happens? I got this beautiful, I live in Rome, Georgia. It's this, I'm out in the country, and I just step out, and I look, and there's just stars. Boom! Stars all over the place. And I look up and remember who I am and what I'm actually made for. And all these other things around me. Like, I, I can't watch any more YouTube videos about uh, Irish people drinking fancy drinks. It's great. But I can't do that anymore. I need more than that, right? And so knowledge moves me from there and orients me up to the heavens. And I'll just say uh, uh, my parents are a really beautiful example of this. Like I said, I, I have 10 brothers and sisters. I'm from a family of 11. And if you have an obsession with things, if you have a misunderstanding of what things are or what people are, um, like this world is all there is and I need to collect as many things as possible, having 11 children is not the way to go about uh, fulfilling that uh, idea, to fulfilling that dream, okay? So my mom and my dad constantly had to look to heaven, had to look to Christ, had to look to the stars to remember what their life was about and the life that they had, this union that they shared, was not about collecting all of these things, but that they truly constantly had to let these things go. And they said yes more and more to this crazy divine plan that God had for them, that they could have never steered there on their own. They could have never guided themselves to their own point. But all they said is, God, I'm going to keep looking to you. I'm going to keep looking to the heavens And you take me where you want me to go. So we pray and we discern. And I mean, I love this. You know, I'll conclude with with wisdom. But the cross is up. 
The cross is up there. Christ ascended. We, we need this orientation that moves us upwards. And then it reminds us that, yeah, as good as these things are, they're passing and they're meant to just keep us moving along. Okay? So my parents are just a beautiful example of what real knowledge looks like. Okay, fortitude. Fortitude, I love this one. Fortitude is so important. Okay? Um, it's a supernatural gift of strength. Uh, Lawrence Feingold says, There are times when we need a fortitude that is beyond the dictates of human reason, made possible only by the impulse of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there are moments where I recognize I cannot do this on my own, which if I was really aware of myself and uh, who I really am, I would constantly be needing fortitude. Okay, but sometimes I think I can do it on my own, right? But if I truly knew um, who I was in relationship to God and who God was and the things he was calling me to, we need the gift of fortitude all the time. All the time is a supernatural strength that allows us to say yes to what the will of God provides for us. Okay, so an unopened sail of the gift of fortitude is unaware of how we are where we are. That's such, yes, that's a complicated sentence, but it makes sense. An unopened sail is being unaware of how we are where we are. So think about this. In your own life right now, um, there are probably situations that you find yourself that feel entirely overwhelming. And you're like, I can't do that. And so we avoid them, or maybe we just bear through them. And there's probably tons of moments like that. I think y'all are, are y'all going through uh, finals week right now? Or is it finals week next week? Is that right? Okay. Yeah, I bet there's tons of stress. And it's like, I cannot do this. I can't do this, right? And yet y'all are here, which is so cool, right? That you're exercising the gift of fortitude right now, saying, I need some help right now to truly accomplish these things that you have placed before me. So when we have an unopened sail, we are not aware essentially of our own story, which is the story of how you are sitting in the seat that you're sitting. Okay. And why this is so important for fortitude is that God intends you to be right, right here, right now, exactly as you are, which means that this situation that you're in and each of these moments that we find to be too overwhelming, God has ordained them and placed them to be there. And he, has, he is giving you the strength to, to, to say yes to him, to follow his will. And so what does is, what is real, real fortitude look like? Is knowing that, that God is creating me right now and that he has a plan for me right here and right now. And my only, my only mission is just to say yes to this very moment. And that means that, well, and here's another aspect is y'all, so let's say you have this big, difficult thing, whatever you imagined, that you say, this is too much for me. I can't actually do this. And you say, how can I, how can I handle this? How can I bear the difficulty of whatever this existential challenge is, whatever this physical challenge is, whatever this intellectual challenge is? When you look back on your own story, my guess is that all of you have not come from perfect homes or perfect families or perfect friendships or maybe even perfect relationships with yourself. Maybe there's a, there's a lot of different stuff that you've gone through. And yet, and yet here you are right now still getting after it, still doing your thing. And I think a part of when we acknowledge our story, we start to look back and recognize, I have seen some stuff. And there, that's really good. 
That's a really good thing. It acknowledges our own strength and the own difficulties that we've gone through. So oftentimes we think we can't handle these things. But when we look at our own experience, I think it actually affirms the fact that you actually can do it. Not because you're alone, but because God has been with you. That you've seen some stuff and you've made it through before. I just, when I was praying about this, Judas and Peter really, really stood out to me. Uh, both were betrayers. Both were betrayers. And if you notice, Judas, he goes off and, and he ends it. He goes and he kills himself. And what does Peter do after he betrays? He goes back to other parts of his own story. And he returns to these places where he knows, I have had strength here. And God called me from the same exact place. So I know experiences in my own life where I'm like, I can't do this again. Then when I look back on my own, on my own story and my own experience of difficulties that I've been through, I'm like, I can do this, man. I am like a pretty tough guy. I can make it through this. That if the Lord was able to get me through that again, then I can open up my sail, know my story, and know that God once again will provide because he is a father who is blowing his life into me. And he's creating me again right now. Okay? That's super important. One, and another thing, Second Corinthians, Paul, he talks, about, he talks about all of his history. Paul, he, he says, um, but what anyone dares to boast of, I'm speaking of, uh, I'm speaking in foolishness. I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. He's just recounting his history. He's recounting his own story, which is giving him the authority to speak as he speaks. Are they descendants of Abraham? Even further back. So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Now I'm talking like an insane person. I am still more with far greater labors, far more imprisonments. Look, he's just naming his own story. Far more imprisonments, far worse beatings, numerous brushes with death. Five times at the hand of the Jews, I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. Sails. <laughs> I passed a night and a day on the deep, on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own race, <laughs> dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers... Lots of dangers. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. That God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, knows he who is blessed forever that I do not lie. We need to live like Paul. Like, guys, life is not easy, and you are here, and you haven't made it here alone. And when we recognize our own stories and the stuff that we've been through, it gives us strength to move forward. Not because we are awesome, but because in my weaknesses, Christ made me strong. As true as that was then, is now, and will be forever. That's what Paul says. Will be forever. You're, you're strong. So know yourself. Know God's presence within you. Open up that sail and receive the gift of fortitude. Supernatural gift of strength. Rocks. Okay, only two more. The gift of counsel. This gift enlightens our minds. Um to see the particular course we need to take in the particular circumstances of each day. So the gift of counsel surrounds practical decision-making. Do I have that written up there? Practical decision-making in life. And I kind of added this. Uh, it's a life of excellence in love. So counsel um, helps us to look at the situations that we're in and practically make decisions on what we believe to be the best course of action. Okay. Now, unopened sales, things that I think really inhibit the gift of counsel, is arrogance when we think that we know best 
So I'm just going to do it on my own. Again, a lot of these things surround like um, a lack of honesty and transparency, a lack of communication, a lack of relationship. I know what's best and I'm going to do it my way. Fear, uh, we can choose not to speak about manageable situations. So things that are, yeah, they're challenging and difficult. I don't know what to do in this certain circumstance, a certain situation. Like that, that conversation I had with my father, I don't know what to do. That's also an aspect of counsel. Help me. But if I'm too afraid to speak it, then I don't receive the gift of counsel. This unopened sale is me shutting my mouth because I think I can do it best or I'm afraid to talk about it. And then the other one is lethargy, not moved by my own desire for truth. That's just not that important. I don't, I don't really care what happens. So we want to strive for an excellent life to make the best decisions that we can with your current situation. Look, when you're game planning for your academic, uh, your academic schedule for the next semester, like when we ask people, that's a type of counsel. We actually need help in making these practical decisions. Well, when it comes to our spiritual life and different things that truly affect us on these really deep levels, we want to do the same exact thing. But oftentimes, fear or arrogance, like I know what's best, or a lack of caring about doing the right thing at all, will have us just keep our mouths shut. And then we run off course. That's an unopened sale. So how do we open up that sale? We want to have open communication, okay? Humility, intensity, and love. (laughs) Okay, we want to freely share the questions and difficulties of life, seeking to see the full picture. And risking sounding stupid. Risking sounding stupid. Okay? That that's worse. That's not as bad as risking sounding stupid is better than doing the wrong thing and keeping it to yourself. Really, truly. <laughs> like, I, man, every time that we podcast, I risk sounding really stupid. And it, it's successful many times. I sound really stupid. But what we're doing is we're working out our own thought. We're working out our own decision-making processes in the gift of conversation. And so take a risk with people that you trust and that love you, that want what's good for you, and, and ask. Don't, don't keep that to yourself. Fear will say, shut your mouth and keep it in the dark. And truth and love um, and humility says, bring it into the light. Because what if you are wrong? Now you're corrected. And if you are right, great. Keep doing it. That's awesome. Okay. So we want to come to family and friends, and we want to do these things in prayer as well. Oftentimes, the way that we engage with other people, we also engage with the Lord. So we want to risk saying things to the Lord so that he can truly, he can speak truth to us. The missionaries here, Father Connor, all of y'all as friends have the opportunity to seek counsel in one another. This is healthy friendships. Help to guide one another and lead you. That's an open sail where we can move in the right direction there. On my own, I'm so done for. I'm like... I'm so aware of how much counsel I need. This is not something that uh, I suffer from. I'm just like constantly on the phone asking people for help. I call Father Connor all the time. I call my dad, my parents, my siblings all the time. Have people that you trust that can speak the truth to you and seek counsel because it's there. Okay. Oh, man. Oh, I thought wisdom was next. Okay. Okay, the gift of understanding. Um, This one is actually... Very beautiful. Um, This is the truths of the faith. Understanding is, um, so knowledge is about the material world. Understanding is about um, the things that we proclaim to be true as Christians and as Catholics. And so I described it as something like a familiarity with the truth, that the gift of understanding is a familiarity with the truth. 
okay? It's the ability to know and to feel the continuity of God's presence through time and space. So you, there are these people, and the way that Lawrence Feingold describes it, I think it really hits it on the nose. The saints are those more advanced in the spiritual life that they gain a Catholic nose to sniff out what departs from the Catholic truth. Another way, you know, I, we talk about Barron quite a bit. We're both um, disciples of Barron in a lot of ways. And we always felt that he had a good pulse on the mystical body of Christ, that he could really feel and, and sniff out where it was going. Okay? So what does an unopened sail look like? An unopened sail is spiritual individualism. I mean, this is, again, it kind of, this is these things that we come back to time and time again, that I know better than the church. And so then I step out of the life of grace and the rich resources that the church has for us. I step out of friendships so that I don't, I'm not able to receive the gift of understanding. And we do this in, in big ways. People can revolt against the Pope, can revolt against the church, can revolt against God in a lot of different ways. We can actually remove ourselves, unopen, we can ravel up that sail, okay? Um, or we can do it in small ways as well. Like, I'm going to trust everything that the church teaches. I'm going to trust everything that scripture has to say. Except for, you know, it's the cafeteria Catholic thing. Like, eh, a little bit here and there, take it a little aside. That's us tugging. I'm just going to tug a little bit. I'm just going to tug a little bit. Holy Spirit, I can feel you <coughs> pull me over there. Well, I'm going to tug and go, go the other direction. So we want to give even, we want to give even those things. Okay, so we want to trust the church completely. This is what Paul says. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the odor of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are the aroma of Christ for God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the latter an odor of death that leads to death to the former an odor of life that leads to life. So this gift of understanding is like, I can sniff, you can like, you, you smell it. You're very familiar with this truth that you're led and, and guided by these things that we have, have declared to be true and do know to be true. And so Open sale is four specific things, sacraments, scripture, saints, and study. Like we want to learn more about the faith. We receive the sacraments as the body of Christ. We receive confession that keeps us in union with the Lord. We have the saints that we can turn to and listen to their teachings. And we have the word of God there that's just always tried and true. And I remember Bishop Barron, when we were up at Mundelein, there was a really tough, a really tough situation that occurred. And he got up there and in the midst of this really difficult situation, with a pulse on the church and a pulse on our community, he said, hey, guys, this is what's happening. This is what I'm doing with this decision. Um, the media may talk about it. If you hear anything and you have any questions, come and talk to, talk to me directly about it. Please come and speak to me. Because he had a deep sense of understanding. And where other people are going to mislead you and maybe misguide you, trust me. Trust that I actually know uh, and have the gift of understanding of what the church teaches and where we're going. That's something like the gift of understanding. So we want to use these four things to open up our sails and stay in the life of the church. Okay, I think this is the last one. My throat's getting really dry, so hopefully it is. I'm sure, yeah. Okay, wisdom. This is the final gift of the Holy Spirit. And wisdom is simply, it's to judge all things rightly in the light of God. To judge all things rightly in the, in the light of God. And notice, fear of the Lord is the first one. And they say, wisdom is the fruit of fear of the Lord. And so, this fear of the Lord ultimately does lead to this seventh and final gift of the Holy Spirit. Which the Holy Spirit himself is oftentimes personified and spoken about as wisdom. As wisdom. 
Wisdom is a gift of the Holy Spirit, which is not the product of learning or natural intelligence, but rather the fruit of the fullness of charity consisting in friendship with God. Friendship produces an intimate knowledge of the mind of the friend by a certain connaturality in that the friend becomes another self. So wisdom, it's not about knowing all these facts. It's not having a list of things that we can say about God. Wisdom is about knowing who God is, is about knowing God. So that, what, is, what do we have, an unopened sail? Yeah, an unopened sail for real. Um, and maybe this is more the fruit of an unopened sail. Um, the fruit of not having wisdom is feeling a meaningless in your life. Like there's no meaning to my existence. There's no meaning to what I'm doing. There's no meaning to the things around me. And what's happening there is the light of the creator is not able to illuminate me or the things around me. So all seems lost. So then I look at a sad situation and and that is it. What you see is what you get. The gift of wisdom allows us to dive into the ocean of the things underneath that. It allows us to look at the hand that is creating all of these things right here. So it allows us to understand our circumstances, our own life, and our own situations with a profundity and a depth that doesn't stop just at the surface level. But wisdom allows us to sink into the depths of our experience and to understand and see God's presence, which soaks our life with meaning, completely soaks our life with meaning. So for example, when we suffer, is that it? Is this it? Suffering. It, that's, there's nothing to be said about that. I'm just suffering, and there's no more to that story. Wisdom says that is absolutely not true. Christ reveals his love for us on the cross. It is an invitation to intimacy. And that's ultimately what the opened sail is. That if we want to see the depths of the meaning of our own lives, the depths of reality and creation and everything that we experience, that can only come from being in intimate relationship with Christ. That we not, we're not just thinking like Christ. We're thinking as Christ. He has become a part of us. We open up that sail and as close as we are to Christ, then we're able to understand our experiences in the light of the cross in the light of the resurrection, in the light of the love that Jesus Christ has for us, which transforms everything. So that suffering is not just suffering, but that's a, it's, a, it's an invitation to encounter the depth of God's love for you. Without wisdom, there's nothing there. That's it. Then we flop around like fish and we suffer alone. That's not life. That's not the plan that God has for us. That's not his action of life, death, and resurrection and ascension into the blessed trinity. He has that for us. And when we have wisdom, which is possessing God's love and his heart and his mind, we're actually able to open to seeing how these difficulties, oftentimes difficulties, the cross, um, is actually God's life moving us. Because when we see that cross, you better believe I am yanking that thing. I am moving it and I am turning it. When I see difficulty, hardship, I am pulling my sails to get out of there. But if we're open and we have our sails open and we have intimacy with Christ, we can let the Holy Spirit lead us even into darkness, even into difficulty where I can't see where I'm going, but that's okay. 
because I have intimacy with Christ and his Holy Spirit is the one who's leading me. So I'll finish with this story. Um, I, I hate, like, so, it's difficult to describe how much I hate public speaking, okay? Hate it. Oh, it's awful. It freaks me out, just terrifying. And I've hated it for, like, eh, probably 10, 13 years. Long time. Long time. Um, and so the Lord, in his love and his mercy, <laughs> asked me to be a battalion commander in college, which obliged me to speak in front of hundreds of people every single day. And then he invited me into the priesthood where I speak in front of hundreds of people um, every day, every weekend. Um, It's like some really sick joke, okay? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah, for real. Um, And when I was in college, I had this really rough experience where I read an English paper in front of a class. I was a freshman and it just like, it just knocked my socks off. It just rocked me. And really from that point, I mean, in high school, I did theater. I was a 12-letter athlete. I was just in front of people. I, I got a loud mouth. I can talk. Well, I've just been talking. So I, it wasn't ever a problem. And then this moment happens, and it just, boom, just stuck with me. It was just like this massive experience of difficulty. And then every time in the future that I would find myself in front of people, my body would physiologically react as if I was back in that moment. I'm talking about like, I just like black out. I mean, I hated it. Wow, it's difficult to describe. Uh, So then I get into seminary and I'm like, okay, Lord, you want me to do this. That's seriously, that's, I don't know how I can do this. And so I just thought, well, if he's calling me there, he's going to take care of it and it'll go away. Like this seminary is some magic pill that just like fixes me completely by magic, which is not how God works. And that's not how it happened. (laughs) I promise you. So then I'm, I'm taking all these speaking engagements and you just go and speak as a seminarian all over the place. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to power through this. <coughs> I'm tough. Fortitude. Yeah, fortitude. And so I'm just pushing and pushing and pushing. And I'm having these repeated horrible experiences, right? I hated it. And it got to the point where I was like, Lord, you're asking me to do something that I believe to be utterly impossible. That I think I'm like physically incapable of doing this. Uh, I, can't, I can't sleep at night because I'm thinking about talks that are coming down the road in a week, in two weeks. And so then it, it just this anxiety kept building backwards and backwards and backwards. And I'm anxious about things that like, aren't even on my calendar yet, just like the hypothetical. I could get a speaking engagement, and it would give me anxiety. I'm like, I can't do this. This is too much, okay? What I had to constantly do is return not to what the Lord was asking me to do, but return to the person of Jesus. Specifically, the Stations of the Cross were really, really important for me. And I had to return to Christ crucified and say, Christ, what, are you loving me? Are you here? Or is this it? Is there more to this plan than what I'm experiencing right now? And for six, seven years in seminary, Every day I would go back to Christ crucified. And there I was with him all the time. I don't say that to like, this is epic. But I had to. I literally had to. I got to a point where I could not do it on my own. And he, little by little, in relationship with him, transformed my heart. And then he said, just trust in me and I'll take care of the things that you're going to do. Be close to me. You are mine. I am choosing you. 
And as I choose you, I will provide for what you need in the future. And I'm just like, oh, gosh. <laughs> I want to let go of these stupid sales. I hate this. I hate this. But little by little, this thing that I thought was the greatest tragedy of my life. So this is horrific. I can't do this for the rest of my life. Ended up being the tool of salvation that God made himself a part of me. Because I could not do it on my own. That this cross, through intimacy with Christ, became the source of my salvation. He recreated me. Recreation. And now, you know, that word recreation, recreation, you spell it the same way, recreation. That the Lord frees us and sets us free to truly live the way that we're supposed to live. And the difficulties, the hardships, and everything, okay, when we have the gift of wisdom, the intimacy with Christ, he transforms us and then he sends us and provides for us. And so now I have to do this every day. And the Lord has never, ever failed. And if I have an unopened sail and I feel like I'm just doing this on my own, man, it feels cold and dark. And that cross just looms on me and is going to pin me down and is going to destroy me. But if I suffer with the cross with Christ, it becomes transformative in a place of deep, deep love. So the last thing that I wrote, my cross, a bed of love. And I'll just say this, keep your sails open and and all of these things. And I know I just said a ton of words and like a lot of stuff. Um, But ultimately, (coughs) the Lord can do far more than we could ever do on our own. And we want to constantly return to these gifts of the Holy Spirit so that he can lead us and he can guide us. Um, That there's nothing that's too big for him. And like, I, you know, I can personally testify for that. that the Lord, he will transform us through the things that we think are the most difficult. Um, Yeah, and so we want to get to know the Holy Spirit. We want to allow his life and his breath to lead us and to guide us. And we want to have open sails so that we can sail off into heaven. So let's close with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of life, your Holy Spirit your breath of love that you breathe into us and animate us and recreate us and lead us and guide us. I want to pray in a special way for all the students here, for all the the staff, for Father Connor, for everything that's happening here at UIC, that this Newman Center can have open sails and be guided by the Holy Spirit, that they can be totally animated, that they can be totally totally alive um, and be led wherever you call them to that this little body right here is meant to save this entire campus, is meant to help save this entire city and the entire world. So Christ, I ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon these students, that you may light their hearts on fire, and you may breathe life in them forever. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. People are standing. It's a standing ovation. Oh, come on. No more.